So this morning, I'm bringing to a conclusion my nine-part series on the book of Jude. I have a long way to go to do the 54 messages on Jude that R.T. Kendall did a number of years ago. But hey, you know, I'm doing it my way. And uh, we come here to the final message, which is a very encouraging message. At the beginning of the series, I suggested to you several reasons why Jude is somewhat neglected. First of all, there is the length of it, or at least lack of length. It's very short. You flip over one page and you've missed it. Secondly, it um, kind of appears to be quite a negative book, even rereading it. Again, just before today's service, it struck me, you've got to have a real at- uh, pay attention to what the Spirit is really saying, because on the surface of it, it sounds very, very judgmental. Jude, quite deliberately, focuses on the severity of God, but within a certain context. The severity of God on the one side, but the security of believers in Christ on the other side. And so as we looked through the series, we've been focusing on what God is saying to us. And we know that at that time, there was trouble in the church, difficulty in the churches to do with all kinds of false doctrine and behavior patterns that were being established, which were not of Christ. And and so Jude has to really, really speak strongly. But he ends on a glorious note, a most encouraging note, an outstanding word of encouragement. So settle down, sit back, open your hearts, and prepare to be encouraged. The Lord Jesus Christ, who has saved you through faith, will keep you and protect you and bring you to your final destination, standing by faith, without fault, without blame, perfect in the presence of God on that great day, the day of salvation. You are going to make it. Did you hear me? You are going to make it. Jude 24 and 25 Those two verses say this. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now, and forever. Amen. Oh, you missed the amen. Amen. That's it. You got it. Those of you who are familiar with driving in today's modern world, and even those who are finding your way around town as a pedestrian, you'll be familiar with the pocket-sized sat-nav systems that are available in various apps. They will plot your course and let you know, just in case you didn't, when you've reached your destination. 
And if you've had several waypoints, that is, mini destinations before your final destination, your sat-nav system will announce to you if you got it on speak verbally or just in a written form, you have reached your final destination. Those words rang out recently in my car when I was with Amanda, driving to the cemetery for a funeral service. And, you know, everybody was somber and the mood, you know, you know that your dear departed brother and sister or sister has gone to be with the Lord. Uh, and yet the sat-nav system announced in most emphatic terms, you have reached your final destination. For a moment, I thought, who are they talking about? I'm not the one being buried today. And anyway, the person who is being buried, that is the resting place for the body, but it's not even the final resting place of the soul and not even the final resting place of the body. So even sat-navs can get it wrong. However, very, very helpful to have a sat-nav system that is guiding you street by street, point by point, corner by corner, issuing, issuing you warnings, red light camera ahead, hazard reported ahead, heavy traffic ahead, accident reported ahead. And so you have warnings. And also, as you know, you can just take a little wrong turn and uh, the sat-nav just does a little impatient moment and by saying, hmm, Rerouting, and it will reroute you to bring you back on track to ensure that you end up where you should be. I think to myself that is so like the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, I don't think we can add it to our theology books, but certainly you know what it means practically. The Holy Spirit is God's sat-nav system who will guide you take you through the difficulties, help you bypass the stuff that would lead you astray, and if you take a wrong turn, will bring you back. He is committed to leading you all the way through to your final destination. You're going to make it. I think it's relevant for the readers of Jude's day. Just imagine what it was like. There was so much disruption in the church. There was all kinds of wrong teaching and people were influencing, drawing folk away from Jesus, either in false doctrine or in living that wasn't glorifying to God and telling them, look, the grace of God's on you. You can live as you like. In fact, it's to your advantage if you go out and sin. Just like the apostle Paul reported in his day, there were people saying, let us continue in sin that, that we can have all the more grace. no. That's not the conclusion. The grace of God will keep you from sin. No sin can keep you from the grace of God, but the grace of God will keep you from sin and will shape you and bring you through to the final destination. Verse 24 again. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless, faultless, before the presence of his glory with great joy. When God says he's able to keep you from stumbling, it doesn't mean to say that you have to come to a standard of perfection without any, any form of sin or difficulty in your life. We know that 
the flesh remains with us until that final day. But here's a commitment of God says, I'm going to deliver you from that ultimately, and you're going to be perfect in my presence. Doesn't mean to say that there is no sin beforehand. Of course, we, we don't deliberately go into sin, but we do know that we, we struggle with sin and disobedience, and we ask God for continued mercy and grace. So when he says here, God is able to keep you from stumbling, he's talking about a certain kind of stumbling. It means stumbling to the point that you fall away beyond recovery. Now listen to this very carefully. We may sin, we may fall, we may stumble, but God has promised that we will not stumble to the point of no recovery and that the God who promised to keep us will bring us right to that final destination, will restore. You can come the easy way or the hard way, but God is not going to let you go. Can you imagine what it might be if God conducted himself in the way that we conduct ourselves in human relationships? So, for example, do you know, Colin, you know, I, 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 I liked you. You know, I thought you were a good guy, but now I've got to know you. I don't, I, I, that's it, no more friendship. Or a husband and a wife say, oh, well, you know, it's over. I didn't know you were such a difficult person. Imagine God saying one day, so Colin, I've been watching you. I had no idea that you were so difficult. So difficult. You know what? Forget it. I, I'm going to let you go. You know, I, I need better people in the kingdom than you. Is that what God is like? He knows you. He knows you. And he chose you anyway. He knows your weaknesses. He knows everything about you. And yet still, he called you into the kingdom. And he is faithful right the way through the, to the blessed end. Some people also struggle with this word, God is able to keep you, but it don't mean to say he's going to do it. He could if he wanted to, but we don't know if he wants to or not. You know, when God says, I'm able, he also says, I am willing. In the Gospels, the miracle stories were often things like, oh, if you are willing. Jesus said, I'm willing. Don't doubt. I'm willing. If you were willing, you could make me clean. I am willing. Be clean. Or oh, if, if, you if you're able to do anything, please help us. And Jesus says, all things are possible to him who believes. In other words, God is both able and willing. He's not like your rich uncle. This is only a story illustration. If there's actual rich uncle out there who's treated you like that, give me his phone number and I will get a better deal for you. But anyway, you got this rich uncle. It's a sermon illustration. It's a story. I made it up. But a rich uncle out there and you need quite a lot of money now. You're under pressure and you think, you know what? It's not my fault I'm in this jam. My rich uncle, I, I know he can do it. He could write a check and put several zeros on it. He could change his mind and write even more zeros after that. And it won't even make a dent in his wealth. And he could just, just so quickly get me out of my difficulty. So you call your uncle and say, uncle, I need some money. And I know that you're able to do this. He says, yes, I could, but I won't. What kind of uncle is that? He could, but he won't. I want to tell you, we've got better news about God. But God 
both can do it and will do it. Not only is he able to keep you from falling away, he will keep you on the path. He will keep you right the way through to the end. And not only is he able to do it, he has the power to do it. He wants to do it. He is willing to do it. And he is going to do it. He's going to present you blameless, blameless. So how? How does this work? What's going to happen here? Well, first of all, we know that we're going to make it because God has promised it. He's promised us eternal life. And we know that our hope is in his promise. It's in what he said. It's what he's done. That old hymn that we used to sing. And maybe we'll start sing, singing it again. We're going to revive some of those hymns. Put them out on KT uh, TV worship. Anyway, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. It's a done deal. God has promised it. God has accomplished it, and he will fulfill it. He has the power and the willingness to do it, and he is the faithful God. My confidence is in God's faithfulness. I know that if it was dependent on my faithfulness, my salvation would be very shaky. I'd be in, out, in, out, shaken all about. But it's God's faithfulness. That's how I know that he's never going to let me go. Now, I know we have to hold on. I know we have to hold on to him. I know we have to be faithful. But hear me out. Look, suppose there was a child just slipping off the edge of the bank into a river. You don't want the child to go into it. It's dangerous. Child is slipping. Slipping. You take the child's hand. You say, hold on. Now the child is holding on. The child's not going to let go. The child wants to hold on. But after a while, the child may, may get tired. But because you are holding that child who is holding you, you are going to make sure that child doesn't fall in. Your grip is stronger than the child's grip. God's grip is stronger than your grip. And he said, nobody is going to snatch you out of, your, out of my hand, not even you, Colin. So here we have God's faithfulness. A few scriptures just to show you that this isn't just Jude's idea. Philippians 1 verse 6. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He's begun a good work. He's not going to give up. You're not going to be an unfinished program, an unfinished project. He's going to bring you right the way through to the final, final finish line. Amen and amen. 1 Thessalonians 5, 23, 24. First part is a prayer. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful and he will surely do it. That's a word of encouragement. One more. 1 Corinthians 1 verses 7 through 9. So that you're not lacking in any spiritual gift. As you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end. 
guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you are called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. It's not what we have done for God that counts on that day. It's what God has done for us. And we have put our faith and our trust in the living God. And he will never, never let us down, never leave us, never forsake us, never fail us. God is faithful and he is committed to bring you through to the blessed end. You are going to make it. Now, of course, this doesn't mean to say that we have no responsibility in these matters. Of course, of course we are responsible. And of course we have to be faithful. And of course we have to persevere. And of course we have to lay hold of God. Jude has made this clear. His whole letter is about contending for the faith. That's a battle. Oh yeah, we, there is a battle for us to remain on course. It's a battle to say the faith, we're going to continue to believe it. We're going to continue to hold on to it. And the faith is not just about belief. It's about behavior as well. It's a lifestyle. Yeah, we have to keep ourselves in the love of God. James, uh, Jude has said that. We have also to build one another up and build ourselves up. Yeah, there's a whole range of responsibilities here for us to live for God and to hold on to him. But remember, his grip is tighter than your grip. I don't trust in my grip. I trust in the great gripper, the biggest gripper in all the universe. That's God himself. And he's got a grip on me and he's not going to let me go. He's got a grip on you. He's not going to let you go. Amen and amen. Now, because God alone is able and he alone is worthy, it means he is going to get the credit. And that's what this is all about. You notice Jude, after this encouraging statement, goes immediately into what we call a doxology. Doxa is the word meaning glory. And so there's only one way to go when you realize your security in Christ and the goodness and faithfulness of God, and that is to let go of all the praise and all the glory, and you give it to the one who is able, but also the one who is worthy. When we stand before God on that day, we won't nudge one another and say, look, I made it. Yeah, I made it. Look at me. I made it. Wow, I got here. No, it'll be, thank you, Jesus. You did this, not me. You made it, not me. That's the whole meaning here. It says, God, uh, Jesus will uh, cause you to be, to present you, he'll present you blameless before the presence of his glory. I want you to know this word present, actually, what it is saying here is he will make you stand. Think about that. He will make you stand. He'll present you, but in that presenting of you before the Father, he will give you the ability to stand. Now think about that. Think about what we might call judgment day, the day of the Lord, when in the valley of decision, it's God weighing up the balances and who can stand in the day of his coming? Only by the blood of Jesus can we stand. 
but by the blood of Jesus, we will stand. It's a done deal. He will make us stand before God. Imagine when you take a list, if you think about it, I don't encourage you to do this often, but if you think about what you've been saved from, and you think even in your Christian life, the stumblings, the problems, the sins and the stuff and the disobedience, hopefully you've brought it all back to the Lord and been brought back on track. But if you look at all of that, you know that you are not going to stand in your own strength or your own righteousness. Nothing but the blood of Jesus will cause you to stand. But by the blood of Jesus, you will stand. So God gets the credit because he alone is the one who's done it. Now, this brings us into the outburst of praise and glory to God. Jude reminds us who he is. That's the first thing. And you know, when we praise God, with all of our hearts, with understanding and revelation, always flows out of a revelation of who he is. And here he says very, very clearly, the words that come up on the screen once again, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. He is the only God. Remember that. The only God. There are many would-be gods out there. And yes, in the heavenly places, there are many principalities and powers divine God-like beings, spiritual beings, and there are those that remain loyal to God and recognize God's authority and know that they are not real gods themselves, but they are created by God, spiritual beings, who is the only God. There are also rebellious spiritual beings that try to set themselves up as gods in the world. And this is the history of world religions down from the very beginning up to this present day. Who is to be worshipped? Who is God? And I want to tell you, as you know, Yahweh, the, the Lord alone, He is God. And when you worship Him, you're worshipping the only living and true God. But notice how that name is associated with Jesus. The only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. In other words, Jesus' name is associated with the name of God. Jesus is not just a prophet, a good man, a religious teacher that shows you the way to God. He is the way through, by means of which you come to God. The way you get to God is through Jesus. And Jesus, being God, is the only one qualified to bring you there. The only God, our Savior, Jesus Christ, our Lord. It's amazing, isn't it? Our Lord. When we come to worship God and praise Him for who He is, His Lordship is very significant. We need to bring the Lordship of Jesus more into our daily thought patterns, our daily lifestyle and acknowledging. It means that Jesus Christ is Lord and we are His servants. We are available to him. He is Lord and we do what he wants. It's very easy because God is such a loving, giving and forgiving God and he is such a servant-hearted God that God himself has been willing to serve us. He sent Jesus as a servant, but remember that he is Lord. 
So that means we don't say, thank you, Lord. You are God, you are Lord. Now this is what I want you to do. No, we say, Lord, you are Lord, you are God. What do you want me to do? That's what the Lordship of Jesus is all about. So that's who he is. Now, Jude finishes with a a string of descriptive words describing not only who he is, but what belongs to him because he is who he is. Unto him be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now, and forever. Now, these words of praise are not just the kind of like praise song at the end of a service. These words are carefully chosen because they are relevant to what he's talking about. Because God owns and should be ascribed all the glory, all the majesty, all the dominion, all the authority in the past, now, and forever. Because all of these things are his attributes. We can be so sure that we're going to make it. We're going to make it because the glory goes to him, not to us. If it was to do with our glory, we wouldn't make it. But it's God's glory to do it, so we're going to make it. His majesty, that is again, not just his title as the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. It's everything that's associated with majesty. His authority, his power, his splendor, his dominion, his authority, and his eternal nature. When you understand that the eternal God is your refuge and underneath are the everlasting arms, you know that you are secure. If he is eternal, it means nobody created him. There's no one higher than him. Not even the devil himself has, can do anything about this because it's too late. God is in control, totally in control. That's why we say to you, it's so important to line yourself up with the ultimate reality. The ultimate reality is not abstract. The ultimate reality is a person His name is Jesus. You line up with the ultimate reality. You're on the right side. And on that day, you'll be so glad that you lined up on the right side, on the right side, the winning side, the side of security, the side of salvation, the side of blessing. Because if you refuse to line up on the right side, you can't blame anybody but yourself that you've refused to acknowledge the one who is ultimate reality are all-giving, all-forgiving, all-loving, heavenly Father. We encourage you today to put your faith and trust in Jesus. Make that decision. A little while ago, I was in Lagos Airport, ready to come home, queuing up and lining up. There were Christians all around me. Don't think all the Christians have left Nigeria and come to London. There's plenty more back there in Nigeria. Anyway, you know what it's like. You're lining up there, two or three people in front of you. Anyway, this guy was a bubbling personality kind of guy, obviously a Christian. And uh, the 
person checking him, him in said, um, is London your final destination? No, my final destination is heaven. Hallelujah. <laughs> well, I know what he meant, but he was wrong on two accounts. He was wrong because they, were, they weren't talking about heaven, they're talking about Heathrow, and he could have got into difficulties. He said, well, if you're not ending in Heathrow, where are you going? Anyway, that was easily sorted out. But also, do you, do you know what? This idea of heaven being your final, final destination it isn't quite true. It, 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 it's the beginning of something amazing, which is going to go on for eternity. And God alone knows the adventures that lie ahead. Don't think that when you finished from this earth, you graduated to stand before God in heaven, that that's the end of the story. No, it's a whole new story. This last week, I lost a very good friend of mine, known him for more than 30 years, Larry Crabb, great influence on my life. He longed for heaven. He longed for the future life, was seeking to serve God on this life. And he will always say, I'm going to be dancing with the Trinity in heaven Okay, there'll be dancers up there, but there'll also be a fresh assignments. I believe that. We're going to judge angels. We've got a whole new perspective of heaven, and it's not going to be sitting for all eternity on some eternal cloud singing an eternal song of praise on an eternal harp. There'll be praise and worship up there like nothing we've experienced on earth. But beyond the praise and the worship, beyond the dancing and the celebration. There'll be fresh assignments as we'll rule and reign with Christ forever. So, you know, there is life after death and there's also life after life after death. A famous theologian says that there is life after life after death, meaning that we don't sort of think about standing before God in heaven as if that's going to be the end of all adventure and we've kind of reached our destination. There's going to be much more that God will open up for us. Amen. And amen. So, my dear friends, the Lord Jesus Christ, who has saved you through faith, will keep you and protect you until the blessed end. And he's going to enable you and cause you to stand before the Father's presence, blameless, without fault, saved for all eternity. And because of Jesus, you can stand that what would otherwise be that great and terrible day of the Lord for us will be a day of redemption, salvation, in the presence and in the glory of the Father. You are going to make it.